What is worship? You think you know? Yeah, what do you think worship is? Worship is what you make the most important in your life. All right, can you say what I just said? So, what you you put things uh, in an order in your heart, the most important, the next most important, the next most important, okay? So, the very most important thing to you is what you worship. Now, back a long time ago, the way they would worship God, or they didn't know the true God, so sometimes they would worship false gods, is they would actually lower themselves by doing this. They would get on their knees. Have you ever seen anybody do this? Yeah, get on their knees. That's one way of showing that you think that what you're worshiping is higher than you. You see, God is already high. He's already above us. He's already all-powerful. We don't make him anything. But you know what? You make him more or less important in your own heart and your own mind, right? Now, here's the story. This comes from Daniel. And what had happened was the people of Israel had been captured by a foreign nation, and they had been taken out of their land and put somewhere else. How would you like to be taken from Texas and brought to a country that you had never seen before and forced to live by their laws and their rules? That's exactly what happened to these people. Now, there were three, we call them the three Hebrew children. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you remember those names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This story is about them and how they responded to the king, whose name was Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. That's a big statue. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messengers to the high officers and officials and governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, People of all races and all nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. So... At the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed down to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace, as if the king needed a reminder, right? But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue which you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. 
But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And that was the point, to show that he was more powerful even than their God. Listen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some people would be scared, wouldn't they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. But even if he does not save us, he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Even if he doesn't want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. So, he said, they said, even if we burn up in that fire, we're not going to worship your God, because God will save us from your hand one way or the other. That means they were confident that they were going to go to heaven. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted. Can you imagine? Have you ever seen somebody so mad that they went, (laughs) distorted their face? Golly, he was mad. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. What do you think happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Oh, you're about to find out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound and walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Isn't that that awesome? The fire killed the soldiers that threw them in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, what? What? Stepping out of the flames. We ain't scared. All right. They stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Recognize, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not know if God was going to save them from the flames. But they said, you know what? Doesn't matter. We're not going to bow down to any god but the true god. I wonder if you and I would have that kind of courage, guys. Therefore, the king said, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their house will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. 
Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. You're going to be tested, kids. Adults, teenagers, you're already being tested. What you fear is what you worship. Karate kids, the fear of the Lord. Fools. All right, kids, go upstairs. And Thanksgiving certainly is about giving thanks for what God has done in your life. But it should really also be a season when we put our focus on worship and what worship is. Now, I defined this earlier for the kids, but both the Hebrew word and the Greek word for worship, or the words that are used most often in Hebrew and Greek for worship, that is Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, Greek, the language of the New Testament. The word is different in Hebrew and Greek because they're different languages, but each of those two words mean the same thing. It means to bow down. So it's a very concrete idea. Well, it is not often that you or I actually bow down to anything, although um, going all the way back to the days uh, when I went to rock concerts, people raised their hands, and we're not talking about raising their hands in worship, we're talking about just raising their hands because they are lifting up the band that is on stage. And we see, you know, celebrity worship and uh, you know, all sorts of idolatry in, in the world today. And that is, if not actually bowing down, it is certainly uh, a form of worship. Now, interestingly, the, the English word worship is more of an abstract term. Uh, it's more conceptual in nature. But it will be easy for you to understand what it means. It comes from two words, worth ship. I put it on the sign out there in front of the church, although it rained and it got some of it scratched off or whatever, right? But it means what you give worth to. So what you give the highest value to is what you worship, regardless of whether you bow down or raise your hands. So here's the question. Is God actually your highest value? Now, you may value something in your life that is very, very important. Your spouse your children, a friend, your parents, that's great. But you're going to have a better relationship with that person if you put them below God in your estimation, in your value system. You have a value system. You're running it all the time, every day. You have to decide constantly what is more or less important to you. Sometimes you apply logic and reason to that. Sometimes it's just a feeling. Some of us are more emotional people, so we kind of go with our gut, all right, or our heart or whatever. But the reality is that's why we say that you have Jesus in your heart when you get saved, because we put him on the throne of our life. We put him in that place of ultimate value. Now, um, there is a worship leader that is going all over the country right now conducting worship, what he calls protest rallies. If he calls it a protest, then they won't bother him, right? Can't have a worship service if you're in California or other states, unless you're in a car or there's fewer than 60 of you. In California, Governor Newsom has said that they can't sing. Are you ready for this? You can't sing. I, I, I've never thought I would come to a time in our country 
when a government official would actually come out and say, you can't sing, you can't worship. Now, they have reasons for this, ostensibly, but what I'm trying to get at here is there will always be a reason. The question is, are you willing to worship? Well, this, uh, this movement, I, that's what I'll call it, movement, because he's gone to cities all over the country. Uh, he went to Chicago, and they wouldn't let him unload their equipment. They stood out in the middle of the street and sung praises anyway, all right? They just had a worship rally in Washington, D.C., and there were thousands of people that were there. They've got it on video. This fellow's name is Sean, and I don't even know how to say his last name, Fucht or Feucht. I'm scared I will cuss if I say his name incorrectly. It's like F-E-U-C-H-T, but you can look him up. Um, I follow him on Instagram, and he posts a lot of stuff on Instagram. Um, but it, the, the title of these worship rallies is Let Us Worship. And what he has said, and, uh, you know, applicably so, is that there are these violent protests where buildings are being lit on fire, and those are permitted. But in some of those same states, churches are not permitted to meet. So he just said, let us worship. And that's all they do. They just worship. I don't even know if there's really any sermons there. They just sing songs. Now, of course, some of the, you know, he'll, he'll make comments and so forth. In fact, I saw one uh, a little piece of video where his daughter was making, and she's like 10, right? And she was like full-on, you know, prophecy mode, right? Um, in any event, the point is, they're saying, let us worship. And Psalm 95, which you just saw in the video, says, come, let us worship. Worship is something that you do all day, every day, anyway. But there's something unique, something special that happens when we gather as a community and worship. And that's why uh, Jesus himself established the church. The church is those that are called out from the world to come together and worship the one true God. That's what we're here to do. The question is, are we taking that for granted? Um, are, we, are we so afraid that we've actually put the pandemic above our Lord? Are we so full of, uh, you know, passions in our own lives that we, we place those passions, even, they, they might even be uh, passions that would be well-respected in our society, right? Uh, family, uh, career, and so forth. But if you place that above God, it becomes an idol. And that's something that God is opposed to. But more than that, it's not something that will be blessed. Even if you get all the gold, even if you get the girl or the guy, you're not going to be fulfilled in that relationship if Christ is not placed above that person. There is a challenging scripture in Hebrews that actually quotes the other side of Psalm 95. You just saw the positive side of Psalm 95 up there on the screen, but Psalm 95 has a warning in it as well. It's not just come, let us worship and bow down to the Lord our God, our maker, right? He is our, our shepherd. He shepherds us. But then it goes into a warning, and I'm going to read this in uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Um, this is the New Living Translation that I'll be reading from, which is the translation I read from earlier. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called in heaven, think carefully about this. 
Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would later reveal. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house, if we keep up our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says, and now it quotes the bottom half of, uh, this is the author of Hebrews, quotes the other half of Psalm 95. Quote, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Now for them, that meant the promised land. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember that it says, and now it quotes Psalm 95 again, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people that Moses led out of Egypt and who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that, he would never, that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Don't be like them. You see, another way of looking at this is what you worship is what you believe in the most. And when you misunderstand faith, when you misconstrue it as feeling, you will find that your feelings change. They change over time. Some people's feelings change rapidly throughout even the same day. Good day, bad day, good day, bad day. Love God, not so much now, right? So if I look at my life and the things that are going on in my life, and if there are challenges in my life, and I assume that that means that God isn't taking care of me, then that could, if my faith is a feeling, cause me to feel distressed, concerned, maybe even angry, maybe even contemptuous toward God. And there are those who have turned away from their faith in Christ because of bad things that have happened in their lives. And this is the reason why I went all the way through 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter that addresses suffering. Um, the Apostle Paul said that we must go through many trials and, and much suffering before we enter the kingdom of God. You're not going to escape suffering. This is a fallen world, period. It's just not going to happen. Now, we can be surrounded by God's protection, I sent out uh, Psalm 91 to my group. Uh, I have a group that I, uh, I send scripture to every day. If you want to get in that group, you can text the word, T-H-E-W-O-R-D, the word, just one 
phrase, the word, to 94000, and you can be added to that group. But I sent them Psalm 91 uh, maybe a couple days ago, right? And um, there's a person in our church, uh, a family actually, that is going through a significant challenge right now when it regards health, and they reached out to me, and I've been praying for that family, and I texted this person back, and I encouraged them to read Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a very, very powerful promise that we can be protected if we put our trust, if we put our full hope in God, if we remain with him and in him. In fact, I like Psalm 91.1, and I memorized it in the wake of 911 because it reminded me, right? Psalm 91.1, 9-1-1, right? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I know that's not gender neutral, but that's what the original says. It's not a, a mandate for men. It means those who will shelter in the presence of the Most High. They will be protected. They will remain in the shadow of the Almighty. That's what I want to do all the time. So, you know, as a pastor, um, people share their, their, their problems with me often. And it can become a burden if I try to solve that problem myself because I can't blow and make COVID go away. I, I don't have all the money in the world to uh, drop you know, a certain amount of money in everybody's account, and I can't make all your relationships go well. But you know, I can pray. More than that, rather than just crying out to God and hoping something happens, you know what I do? I trust him. I believe him. I believe that he is good. I believe what his word says, not what seems to be. So when you look around you, you can see lots of bad news. But if you trust the Lord, you understand that he is the same. That, that very book of Hebrews that I just read the passage out of uh, in uh, ch chapter 13 says um, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. I believe that's verse 8. Jesus doesn't change. God's still on the throne. Jesus is either Lord or he's not Lord, and your circumstances don't alter that fact. Things may be blowing up in your relationships right now. Your finances may be falling apart. Things may be difficult right now. You may be facing uh, a need for shelter. You may be facing a need for a job. Uh, you may be having trouble with your significant other or with your kids or whatever. But, you know, God hasn't changed, not a bit. That's where your hope needs to rest. And so yesterday, there were three significant prayer requests that were offered to me, and I was concerned about all of them, and they kept rattling through my mind. But, you know, I just had and do have, continue to have confidence that God is actively involved and he is going to resolve those situations. When you ask me to pray for you, I will pray for you, and then I will trust the Lord. And you may trust the Lord with me, and that will help you far more than me doing it alone, but I'm going to trust the Lord in your behalf, and I'm going to believe that he's going to heal you, and he's going to help you, and he's going to resolve your situation, and God will act. Amen? See, some people don't have faith because they're too focused on this world and too focused on sight, right? These are the people that would say, yeah, yeah, well, I'll believe it when I see it. But that's not faith. You say you believe it when you see it. No, you don't believe it. You just see it. So, you know, if suddenly I win the lotto, that's not faith. 
That's a lot of money. But you know what happens? This is the interesting thing. To the believe it, I'll believe it when I see it, people. That was the people that were being addressed in Hebrews in the wilderness. Actually, Hebrews refers to Psalm 95. These are the people that Psalm 95 was talking about. They were in the wilderness, and they saw miracle after miracle, miracles that you and I can only imagine. First and foremost, they saw that the entire nation crossed through the middle of the Red Sea on dry ground. And then that same sea covered the Egyptians that were chasing them and delivered them from that enemy. And yet, it wasn't probably a week later or maybe even a few days later, they were in the wilderness on the other side of the Red Sea and they needed water, and they started getting frustrated and upset. And so this area where they were uh, having the this fit, I mean, we're talking the whole group of people, this is like hundreds of thousands of people, they're crying out to God, and it's called Masa and Meribah. Well, in Hebrew, Masa means testing, and Meribah means quarreling. Who were they quarreling with? Moses and God. Who were they testing? God. Well, God provided them with water, but that wasn't the first time that they quarreled with God, that they complained against God, that they threatened to stone Moses and Aaron and pick another leader and go back to slavery in Egypt. This happened over and over and over in the wilderness. They saw God's miracles. God provided food for them every single day. Manna, right? Uh, The word comes from the Hebrew word manu, which means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. When they first saw it, they went, Manu, what is it? Okay, and so that became their name for it. So it was kind of, I, I always think of it kind of as pie crust, the way it's, uh, it is uh, described in Scripture. It's white and it's flaky. But they could make it into more things than, than pie crust. By the way, I do like pie crust, so it does, I don't have a problem with that. If you make it right, all right, some people don't know how to make it right. I'm one of those people. Pie crust is actually hard to make right. Most people just get the shell and, okay, it's Thanksgiving and I'm thinking about food. But anyway, we were supposed to have chili today, but stupid pandemic. Um, In any event, this food was provided for them every day. God provided water for them. I mean, he performed multiple miracles. Things would happen to them and God would save them and he did this again and again. And the people basically had the kind of attitude that I hope you don't have, but I've encountered in people before. It's like this. Yeah, God, what have you done for me lately? See, but when we are thankful people, the first thing that we do when we're in trouble is remember what God has been doing in our life all along. We go back and we think about the things that God has done. And then we recognize that this is the same God today in my present circumstance as he was when things were going well. In fact, that is the basis, by the way, for Philippians 4.13. Do you recognize that address? You recognize that verse? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You heard that verse? This is what Paul said before that. He said, I know how to get along when I have much or when I have little. He wasn't just talking about when he was in trouble. He said, I need to trust this same God when I have a lot. Because you know what happens? And I've seen this happen again and again. People get great provision. They, they get a raise at their job, get lots of extra money and whatever. And all of a sudden, their faithfulness toward the Lord is real sketchy. You know why? Because they wanted God to help them. 
But now, oh, I got the money. I got this. I got a house. I got a spouse. I got this. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course I still believe in God. No, you presume. So what I hope is that if you're in that situation where you're being abundantly provided for, that what doesn't happen is that God has to take that away from you to remind you who you need to rely on. We need to rely on the Lord perhaps even more in abundance than we do in the absence of resources. We're often, if we have any faith in the Lord at all, we're forced to say and cry out to the Lord when we're having difficulty. But, you know, the Lord will bless you. And when he does, you've got to trust him even more. All right? If you get, if you get some money coming in, the first thing you shouldn't be thinking of is, oh, what stuff am I going to buy? Right? Or soon enough, you'll be out of money. You need to be asking the Lord what he wants you to do with those resources. Amen? So we need to trust him at all times in all things. In fact, that's, uh, I had the kids when they were down here quote that verse uh, earlier, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. But the other verse um, that among the first two that they have to memorize, actually the other verse is two verses, passage, is trust in the Lord with all of your, and do not lean on your own. Here's the part I wanted to get to. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. In how many of your ways? All of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He will give you direction for your life. You don't decide where to go. This is our problem. We want to draw the path, and then we want to say, hey, God, hey, God, hey, concierge, come down here. Almighty concierge, I need you to bless me here. This is my plan, okay? So you make it happen. That's not the way it works. God has a plan. You get in on his plan. That's worship. So what I'm doing is I'm seeking him. I'm drawing near to him. Now, sometimes he reveals stuff, and sometimes he seems slow to do that. Sometimes you've just got to make a plan, and you're seeking to honor God, and you just start taking steps out. You can't just sit and do nothing, right? You can't just sit and wait for the check to come in the mail. You got you to knock, and you got to seek, and you got to ask, all right? What does that mean? That means make some effort again and again in the New Testament. It talks about being diligent about your faith, being earnest about your faith. The Greek word there is spude. It means put some hustle in your faith, man. Get up off your blessed assurance and go out there and make some effort. Try, right? But I'm not just doing it myself. I am seeking the Lord all along. I'm acknowledging him in all my ways, right? So if you commit your ways to the Lord, then your plans will succeed. So what I'm doing is I'm committing every step to the Lord. And if he hasn't revealed a grand scheme plan for me, then I'm just going to commit every step to him until he reveals more. Remember, the scripture says he's a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. It doesn't say he's a spotlight into our path. He's going to light just enough in front of you so that you can take the next steps. He's not just going to show you everything. Now, I knew that I was called to preach when I was a teenager, but it took me until I was uh, 27 to preach my first official sermon. But you know, even before that, I started going to college. I went to a small Christian school in Arizona. It's a big school now, but it was uh, Grand Canyon College. It was a Baptist school, small school much like DBU. They, they remind me of each other, except uh, Grand Canyon didn't have quite as much property as DBU has. 
now it's a huge school. I, it's amazing to me that they have made use of the property they have, but they do a lot of online stuff. But when I was going there, there were only about 1,200 students. But I started going to that small Christian school so I could prepare for ministry because I knew God had called me to ministry within a year of coming to faith in Jesus. I continued to take steps, right? In the middle of my sophomore year at Grand Canyon College, I really started sensing this pull to move out of my hometown, Phoenix, Arizona, and go somewhere where it wasn't so comfortable for me. And so I got a, a, a magazine in the mail. It was a, I don't know if this is still a publication, um, but it's the, uh, the youth version of uh, Christianity Today, and it's called Campus Life. Again, I don't know if they still have that, but I used to get that all the time. I had a subscription to it. And this was the college edition. And I was flipping through the college, and I started getting excited. And I'm like, I'm already enrolled in a college. I'm doing fine here. But I started getting excited. So I, I, I started sensing this, uh, this unease, if you will, or this, this need to get out and to move out. And then I started seeing that the Lord was, was, seemed to be saying something to me as I looked through all these colleges. Well, I won't go into the long uh, version of the story, but I will just tell you that I wound up at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. I came here on a Greyhound bus with a steamer trunk, and that was it. I rode my first taxi that I had ever ridden from downtown Waco, which definitely wasn't much back then, to Penland Dorm. And that's how I got to Baylor, graduated from Baylor, and I won't go on with the entire story. I'm simply trying to help you to understand that it wasn't until I was 27 and at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth that I actually preached my first official sermon, but I didn't stop pursuing that call to ministry. God has a call for you as well, right? Your call to be a parent is a call. Your call to a partner is a call. But above all, our call is to come out of the world and worship the one true God. That's what we're here to do today. We're not here to listen to some nice music and listen to a guy talk. We're here to be led into the presence of God. Amen? So my question for you as I conclude here is, where's your faith? Who is your faith in? What is your faith in? What do you really worship? The end of the service is going to conclude with uh, two more worship songs. These, this music gives you an opportunity to put the Lord where he deserves to be in your heart. It gives you an opportunity to speak to him and to, to move in the spirit towards that place that you need to be. And that may mean you need to push some other stuff out of the way because there's some things that are crowding in. Those might be fears, they might be passions, but you need to push them out of the way and put the Lord above all other things. It's really just as simple as that. Uh, Jesus was speaking to a woman one time. This is a passage in John chapter 4. Sometimes the story is called the woman at the well. It was at the, the well of Sychar in Samaria, uh, Jacob's well. And he was speaking with her, and she tried to get into a debate with him about her people, the Samaritans, and his people, the Jewish people, and where they should worship. And Jesus responded to her and said, true worshipers must worship God in spirit and truth. That's who God is seeking. He's seeking worshipers that worship him in spirit and truth. It's not here. It's not there. It's those who worship him in spirit and in truth. You worship him, placing him above all other things in your heart 
and you worship him truly in accordance with who he really is, who he has revealed himself to be in Jesus, not how you feel or what you feel or what your experiences have taught you. We worship the God of the scripture. And this is why I read so much scripture today. Rather than give you extended commentary on worship, I would rather have had you heard what the Word of God has to say and be responsible to that. Because every time the Word of God goes forth, you have an opportunity to have faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. All right? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach your Word. I thank you that you are God, Almighty God, and that you are deserving of worship regardless of any feelings by any particular individual or group of individuals. You are God, and that will never change. And we are wise if we begin by fearing you, and if we move into your presence in that reverence and learn to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I pray that there will be some folks here and online and who maybe listen to this later via the podcast who will make the choice, they'll make the decision to put you first in every area of their life. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.